Hello, it's Friday, November the 5th, bonfire night of course, and this is the Andrew Pearce Show coming as ever from the Daily Mail Newsroom. Coming up, we've had to wait 40 years, but ABBA are back, they've released their new album today, and guess what, I absolutely love it. Yorkshire Cricket Club chairman has deservedly resigned over his shambolic response to the racist abuse of the player Azim Rafiq. Also, there's Duchess of Sussex. Here she goes again. She's been calling up Republican senators, unbidden, unannounced, introducing herself as a member of the royal family and then lobbying them to introduce paternity leave. But first, a government minister has apologised after the debark over the former cabinet minister, Owen Paterson. But will it be enough, as the first poll shows, a sharp fall in support for the Conservative Party and Boris Johnson? The former Tory cabinet minister, Owen Paterson, has resigned as an MP after the huge row over his conduct led to a government U-turn. And it's led to the Tory lead in the opinion polls plunging to just one point. The Labour leader, Sakir Starmer, has called on the Prime Minister to apologise to the whole country for his grubby attempt to cover up for the misdemeanour of his friend. I'm joined now by the author of How to Be a Spin Doctor and the former government adviser, Paul Richards. Paul, we've talked many times about banana skins, which the Prime Minister has slipped on. I think probably this is the biggest by far. I think that's right, Andrew, because this is the one that seems to have cut through to the, the public and actually hasn't had an impact on public opinion. I mean, so often in the past we've discussed his uh, misdemeanors and it just seems like it's Teflon. It just seems to slide right off him and doesn't have much impact in terms of public opinion. This one, on the other hand, it really reminds me of the expenses scandal in 2009. Um, when I was working in government, when suddenly people started talking about it at school gates and over a coffee, you know, and that's the that, that's the moment you can feel, um, you know, things slipping away. And I think this is what's happening right now. And it was quite simple, wasn't it? it the government appeared to be what well, they were doing in just that um, the Patterson had been found guilty by the select committee that handles these matters, 14 members. All of them said he was guilty of breaking the ministerial code, not just breaking it, but of an egregious breach of the ministerial code because he was lobbying government on behalf of uh, companies that were paying him. And it appeared the government wanted to change the entire regulatory system to get him off the hook. I mean, this is the sense of, of fairness that was, was transgressed. You know, people feel like, well, they believe that the system has to be fair. Uh, and treat people equally. And it was a real sense that, you know, they didn't get what they wanted, so they're going to smash up the system and, and start again. And that felt unfair to people. I have to say, uh, 51 Conservative MPs, you know, rebelled and voted against this. But um, um, several hundred more, unfortunately, were dragooned into supporting this. And they will, I think, come to regret that because, of course, then the government itself U-turned almost immediately, left them all twisting in the wind and uh, changed its mind under pressure, not least from the media. And um, those MPs are now looking pretty foolish. And this will play into local campaigning. You know, the Labour Party is already running campaigns against these MPs that, that voted with the government. And uh, it will play out in the by-elections as well, I'm sure. So it's just, it's, uh, you know, it is an absolutely unforced error. Um, it is astonishing. And I think it really will, you know, impact on the public mood and on the public perception of this government. The Education Secretary, Nadim Zahawi, who was doing the media round today, Paul, he apologised. He actually used the word, I'm sorry, for this day, Bark. Begs the question, why did they get into that mess in the first place? While it's good to hear ministers apologise, and we don't hear that very often from governments of any political stripe, to be honest, 
is that going to cut it with the public? I think that there's going to need to be more to be done because I, I just think, you know, a single apology doesn't really necessarily do the job. And I th- what often happens in these situations is there'll need to be a bit of bloodletting. So it could be, uh, uh, you know, in a, in a by-election, there could be a bit of a kicking for the government in, in the future by-election or it might be um, the, this opinion poll shift that you described, you know, is becomes permanent. It has dislodged a sizable chunk of the electorate. Um, away from the government who they just people just feel they've had enough you know but it, it is something that will hang around their necks now until the next general election it's not going away and like the expensive scandal like cash for questions um the, these scandals create a kind of a, a stench that it's very hard to then get rid of um just with a simple apology yeah just finally paul the last thing the tories need under boris johnson who's had so many scrapes of his own not least about free holidays and wallpaper and all the rest of it is the idea that this the headline tory sleaze returns to haunt them yes and it, it, that is the mantle that they've now adopted i fear and of course you know what happens now the, the journalists are going to be looking for other examples and there's going to be a lot of scrutiny now and a lot of mps who perhaps are in similar situations to own patterson perhaps taking a fee for consultancy or whatever you want to call it are suddenly going to have a, a, a really bright strong light shone upon their activities and who knows what else is still out there to, to come out indeed that's paul richards author of how to be a spin doctor and former government advisor thanks for joining us so visit mailplus.co.uk to listen to The Andrew Pearce Show for free, in full, along with our other podcasts and video series. Don't forget to tell your Alexa speaker to play Daily Mail News. Two United States senators have revealed that Meghan Markle has been cold-calling them. She's apparently lobbying for paternity leave in their various states, and she uses her official title. The Republican senators said that Meghan Markle called them on a withheld number and introduced herself as the Duchess of Sussex. And there was me thinking she was giving up all that royal stuff. Angela Levin is a royal biographer and author of Harry, Conversations with the Prince. Has this woman got no shame at all, Angela? I think you're right there. Um, It is fascinating, isn't it? You would think anyone with a certain amount of common sense would realise that if you were giving a title from a United Kingdom monarchy, how dare you tell the American Senate what to do? It's um, very strange indeed. I mean, she loves having the title. She just didn't want to be controlled by any member of the royal family because she likes to be out in front doing her own stuff. But, you know, it doesn't make any sort of sense, does it? And and do you think it's there's been reports before that Meghan Markle, we know she's an ambitious woman, that she's got eyes on becoming a democratic politician herself. And it's even been reported that she thinks that one day she be, she'll be having a tilt at the presidency. And perhaps she thinks having HRH and a royal title will help her, Angela. Yes, I don't think she needs the HRH. I don't think Americans quite understand what that is. But I think the Duchess of Sussex, they know what a duchess is. And I think she'd hang on to that. But I don't think she really can. Um, And what will happen to poor Harry? He'll be just sort of left behind. The thing about her that makes me feel that she wouldn't actually want to be a politician in the end is that she's very, very thin-skinned. Have you ever heard before as well, we know Prince Charles lobbies ministers in this country, Angela, he's been doing that since uh, pretty much he became the Prince of Wales on issues to do with farming and environmental change, and that's all well and dandy, but have you ever heard of a member of the royal family lobbying 
elected representatives in another country altogether? No, of course not. I mean, you can forgive Prince Charles because he's been devoted heir to the throne and he just wanted to um, talk about his passions. But hers is to gain power and money. It's very different. And it's very hard to understand why the palace are are doing anything at all, except for the fact that the Queen at her age now still adores Harry and she doesn't want to make things any worse. She's not a micromanager to actually insist that each of her children and grandchildren do what she says. But there are limits and every time something happens and you think, well, surely they're going to do something about this, they don't. I think that she she would be very upset to upset him. And if he is vulnerable, um, has got vulnerable mental health issues, then she certainly wouldn't. So it's Meghan winning. Yeah, and um, and she's keeping us in stories, which we do approve of, um, Angela. Yes, well, it's the non-stop, isn't it? Every it is. day, and especially if the other royals do something, then you can be absolutely certain that they will come out with something to try and trump that got to win. I mean, you have to open your eyes and say, I've never met anybody like this. Indeed. That's Angela Levin, the royal biographer and the author of Harry, Conversations with the Prince. Visit mailplus.co.uk forward slash subscribe to get access to our podcasts, our videos, our opinion pieces and much more. If you want to get in touch, you can tweet us at mailplus or me at Tory Boy Pierce. Dogs and cats can catch COVID and it can harm their hearts. Researchers from the Ralph Veterinary Referral Centre in Marlow report four cases of the Alpha variant has been detected in cats and two in pet dogs. Joining me now is the author of the paper and specialist in veterinary cardiology, Dr Luca Ferrisin. Dr Ferrisin, lots of people listening to this think, oh my God, it could be my dog, it could be my cat. How widespread is it and how much of a problem is it? Right, that's a, a very interesting question. And uh, I would, first of all, uh, um, ask people not to panic because uh, there are not the conditions at the moment for uh, uh, alarming the general public any more than that. Um, basically, we noticed these uh, surging cases back in December, January, December last year, January to 2021. And that coincided with the peak of uh, COVID-19 cases in the UK caused by the so-called UK variant or uh, alpha variant. And um, now these cases are dramatically reducing in, uh, in terms of incidence. And uh, equally, we've seen cases of myocarditis in dogs and cats drop into the historical baseline values. So we only experienced this problem at the very beginning of the year when uh, we first reported these, um, these findings. And then obviously the paper was published later on because it had to go through a very... Um, very meticulous uh, peer review process. But um, the other thing is that um, we consider this as a very um, rare possibility that um, obviously will not affect all uh, dogs and cats. But equally, we would like to increase the awareness of this possibility. So if a person, if a dog or a cat owner uh, knows to have COVID because tested positive or has got symptoms compatible with COVID, perhaps they should use a bit of common sense, wash hands and wear a mask before touching their pets just to reduce the risk of transmission. That at the moment only seems to um, occur from people to pets, but not vice versa. We didn't have any evidence to support the hypothesis 
that the disease can be transmitted the other way around. So I think that nobody should panic at this stage. Right. And in all cases, were the animals, um, Dr. Ferrison, were their hearts affected in each case? Yeah, we only do cardiology, so perhaps our evaluation was biased by the fact we could only see yeah. uh, uh, dogs and cats with heart disease. But there were all cases presenting the clinical conditions of very severe without any previous history of heart disease, and that's the typical presentation of an inflammation of the heart caused by a virus. Very sudden onset, they were all uh, lethargic, inappetent, and uh, with breathing difficulty caused by the presence of fluid in the lungs, so not primarily like a flu symptom, but a, a, a sign caused by the underlying heart disease. Some uh, pets were fainting because of an underlying weakness. So all the conditions, mm. all the presentation was um, uh, in all cases quite critical, quite dramatic. But they all improved after a few days in intensive care and they right. all been discharged. So they all went well, that was, well, that's 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 very encouraging, isn't it, to, to yeah. hear that they they got better, Doctor Ferrison. And what's that's this is happening in Britain on, on this small scale. Do you think is there evidence in your community, Doctor, that this is happening and uh, it's happening in other parts of the world too? I, I I assume it must be. That's a very 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 good question because uh, obviously we reported the first cases back in March. It wasn't a peer reviewed process, so it was just uh, placed as an information online. But after that um, report online cases of COVID in, uh, in uh, cats and dogs have been reported in, uh, um, in the United States as well as many European countries. And more recently, there was a publication of uh, um, pets in uh, France, for example, that had myocarditis too. So the problem is there, but um, probably um, going to disappear later on, hopefully will disappear for us, hopefully will disappear the problem for dogs and cats too. Well, that's that's encouraging too. That's Dr. Luca Ferrisin from the Ralph Veterinary Referral Centre in Marlow. <laughs> Deputy Sports Editor Matt Gatwood's here with the latest from the world of sport. Matt, we talked about this the other day and we both knew the scandal at Yorkshire Cricket Club would claim a scalp. This is over the uh, cricketer Azim Rafiq, who we now know was, his teammates called him the P-word. Uh, uh, and the official inquiry into the club said it was just banter. So today, the chairman of the club, Roger Hutton, has resigned. I suspect, Matt, more more people from the board will follow suit. Yeah, absolutely. There's a Yorkshire board meeting going on as we speak, so there could very well be um, more people who, who pay the price for this. But as you say, Hutton's gone. Um, you would think that Mark Arthur and Martin Moxon, who are the two other members of the sort of senior uh, senior members of the club would, you know, their positions would be pretty much untenable as well. But that, as I say, that's not been uh, decided as yet. Um, the Yorkshire, the, the cost to Yorkshire is, is getting even more astronomical by the day because um, they have now had uh, the right to host test matches and one-day internationals taken away from them by the ECB until they get their house in order. Uh, so that means, you know, as it stands, that's the test match next summer, for which they've already sold tickets. Um, so that is an, obviously an awful mess. Um, uh, and their sponsors continue to walk away from them, including Nike, who walked away from the Ispo, who were their, uh, their kit, sponsor, kit suppliers. Um, so uh, an absolute mess, uh, as you say, uh, that shows no sign of going away. Uh, Michael Vaughan, the former England captain, uh, has also been caught up with it. Now, I must stress that Michael Vaughan denies the accusation that's been uh, labelled at him, but the, the accusation that's been uh, made is that he said to Rafiq and teammates um, 
other British Asian teammates thought there's too many of you lot in here. Uh, as I say, Vaughan denies that. Uh, but he is uh, uh, now his, he is under scrutiny for that as that accusation swills around him. As I say, he denies that. Uh, but it's just yeah, it just shows now. The, the, the reports with the ECB, and we know the ECB have now come out and, as I say, stopped them from hosting Test Match Cricket. They, that, that isn't the end of it. The ECB are still uh, determining you know, where they go from here. Uh, you know, it could be points deductions or whatever, but um, you know, the fact they're blocking them from hosting tests, that's massive in terms of financial punishment uh, for Yorkshire. It's their own stupid fault because they just, they just, they've almost virtually covered it up. They've not published a report. This has been banging on for about three years. I think it, they deserve all the grief they get, Matt, frankly. Yeah, well, they've botched it. A terrible uh, a, a botching of the whole thing. Look, so they, the accusations were made. They had an in, formed an independent panel to look at the accusations. Yeah. Now, there were British Asians on that panel, so it's extraordinary yeah. to me that that panel would then come back and say, well, that's mm. all fine. This is just banter. At that point, Yorkshire should have said, in my opinion, Yorkshire should have turned around and said, well, hang on, um, this is going to look awful if we, uh, if we go along with your recommendations of not punishing anyone. We're going to have a new investigation to it because we're not satisfied with the findings of this panel. Um, now, they're claiming now that they went to the ECB, they sought the ECB's help, the ECB are distancing themselves from it, saying, well, that's not up to us to get involved. Uh, you know, you came to us, but it's not our business, so you need to sort that out. We then are the governing body. We're not, you know, to get involved in club matters. So the ECB seems to be sort of passing the buck somewhat as well uh, in this. So it's it's an awful mess. But, yeah, there's no doubt that Yorkshire have handled it badly. The ECB aren't exactly coming out of it um, smelling of roses after what Yorkshire has said today. This is Hutton who said, I've tried to get the help of the ECB and they didn't help. Now, I don't think the ECB can necessarily... Uh, be commended for saying oh no don't you saw that out surely the ecb when yorkshire came to them for help could have actually helped them and said yeah come on we'll help you get to the bottom of this because surely that's in their interest so yeah terrible mess all round. no one's coming out of it looking particularly good uh and as you say uh hutton's gone and there'll be more to go after him i'm sure of that and the new tottenham manager conti starts with a win but only just matt yeah so uh antonio conte back had his first game last night uh, in the uh, Europa Conference League, which is not a league that he would have been too familiar with. Fantastic start. Tottenham, uh, his new team, raced into a 3-0 lead. Uh, so everyone must have been thinking, and were, no doubt, thinking, um, you know, incredible, what a manager we've got here. However, they then conceded two goals before half-time. A crazy game, as Conte said afterwards. They were 3-2 at half-time, and they clung on to win 3-2. Three people sent off in the second half. One man, uh, one Tottenham player, and two from Vitesse Arnhem. Uh, so yes, uh, a real roller coaster, and it shows sort of Conte what he's got to deal with—the highs and lows of being the top the manager, summed up in one game. And just finally, Newcastle have got a new manager, Matt. Well, they're closing in, yeah, on Eddie Howe, the former Bournemouth manager. Uh, they got a bit fingers burnt in the week when they pretty much were briefing that they had Unai Emery, the former uh, Arsenal manager. Uh, they had him in place, so. Uh, there was a lot of talk that Unai Emery had the job because that was coming from the Newcastle end. He then didn't like the fact that this was being made public before he'd taken the job. Balked at it, said, no, I don't want the job after all, uh, leaving Newcastle with egg on their face. But they've now turned to Eddie Howe, who will be well aware that he's not their first choice. Um, but he, uh, the former Bournemouth manager, said it will be his job to try and steer this club away from uh, the, the crisis that is happening and the possibility of relegation. 
All right, that's Deputy Sports Editor Matt Gatwood with all the latest. Thanks for joining us. After nearly 40 years, ABBA has finally released a new album, The Voyage. Is it a return to form of the 70s and 80s? Or, if you pardon the pun, are they in it just for money, money, money? The Daily Mail's music critic, Adrian Thrills, joins me now, and he's heard the album. What do you think? I think it's an excellent uh, comeback and a real, not quite, you know, a return to form in some ways, but it's uh, it's certainly, for me, it evokes a lot of their great hits of the 70s and early 80s. I mean, Diana Ross has released a comeback album today and I found that one quite underwhelming. And it's, there's always a danger with these big comebacks that they'll, you know, after all the hype, they'll disappoint. But I think this one, with a, with a couple of exceptions, I think it it really lives up to the uh, expectations. I mean, whatever aspect of ABBA takes your fancy, whether it's the kind of kitsch, glam, rock and roll stomps like Waterloo or those those kind of great epic ballads like The Winner Takes It All, there's there's something here for you. And do you think, I mean, what struck me listening to the single they've released, it's the quality of the two women's voices. They, it seems that age has not dimmed the power of their vocal cords. No. Well, not I much, they, anyway. No, I mean, some people have, have said they're singing a slightly lower register than they were before, and, and there may be an element of that, but there's something about the way, I mean, they sing a lot of songs, they just sing together in harmony, in unison, and there's something about that, that blend they have that's just it's so instantly recognizable and i mean for me as well though the the real star and quite you know sometimes unsung here is benny i think his his arrangements and his his ability even on like a simple straightforward pop song he'll throw in a few kind of weird chords and odd little melodic twists that uh, that kind of just they're quintessentially abba and i i think you know, I, I really do think it's it's a kind of better album than a lot of us would have expected. They haven't tried to chase modern trends. You know, they've they've done very much a record. There's even a track on it, Just an Ocean, which goes all the way back to 1978. It was going to be on Voulez Vous, and they've they've actually kept the original vocals and they've recorded new uh, instrumental backing. and And it's a real classic Waterloo style. Abba Stomp and uh, I wouldn't be surprised if two or three of those these songs actually do crop up in the show next year I can certainly think Just an Ocean would be in there and that opening ballad I Still Have Faith in You to me that's got to be the song that opens the, the virtual show it just it kind of sums up everything there is about Abba and the relationship they have with their fans and I think that does I think that's right and it's a great title for a comeback song I still have faith in you we ABBA fans have still got faith in them they've still got faith in their fans to buy the music and of course they've got a whole new generation of fans Adrian haven't they because of the extraordinary success of Mamma Mia the stage show and the two Mamma yeah. Mia films yeah I think they, they really have and I think they're classic pop, pop songs like that they, they really do transcend the generations don't they I mean uh, my daughter, um, you know, when she's just out of her teens now, but um, I remember once when um, I, interviewed, I was lucky enough to interview Benny in his Stockholm studio a few years ago, and my daughter gave me the, her Mamma Mia CD and said, oh, please, could you get him to sign this for me? And, uh, you know, they, they really do appeal to, to all ages. And I think a couple of the reviews um, this, uh, this morning were a little bit sniffy, but I just think if you, if you don't like ABBA, you don't really like pop music. And... Uh, there's been there's, there's been some talk about this being you know finally being their last album and 
I always take that with a pinch of salt. Any pop star who tells you they're retiring, I always think, well, you know, let's just see. Because uh, apparently there are a couple of more songs um, that they didn't include on the album. And uh, they didn't even intend to make this one. They, they actually started with a couple of songs and they found a couple more. And then Benny and Bjorn, after a few years, they think, hang on, we've almost got an album here. So, um, I mean, if it is to be their last one, I think they've gone out on a real high. And it certainly sets up next year's shows really well. And, uh, yeah, I mean, they're going to be, even though they won't be there in person, I think they're going to be one of the hottest tickets of next year. Yeah, if I don't get to see that that show, I know it's a virtual show, it will be the end for me. Because I tried <laughs> to get us tickets when they came to Britain, I think it was 1979, uh, and I uh, the tickets were sold out within seconds. It was hopeless. Yeah, I was. I never saw them live. I've never actually seen Abba in the flesh, um, certainly on stage. But, um, you know, I think these shows, I think they're going to be a real treat. I was, I was sitting down this morning having listened to the new album a few times wondering how many of these new songs are going to be in there and also you know i've already started to think about what the set list will be what will they open with where are they going to you know slot in the various songs i mean everyone's got their own imaginary abba concert haven't they i mean people everyone has their personal faves and and i think everyone will have a different idea of what constitutes a classic abba show because obviously they've got the big hits but they've also got a few some of the kind of you know more unsung songs are actually you know as as good as and uh and i think you know there's definitely there's a few of this album there's a couple of real classic ballads as well that uh that i think abba fans will just love and quite quirky as well they're not you know they're... i'm looking forward to hear i, I mean i i've got i'll pick up my copy i think either today or tomorrow adrian i'm and i'm going to be it's, you can't be glued to a a record if you know what i mean but i will be i'll probably play it all day yeah i don't think you'd be disappointed glad to hear it that's adrian thrills who's um uh, the daily mail's music critic talking about the return at last says an abba fan of abba with their first album in nearly 40 years it's called the voyage and boy have they been on one that's all we've got time for today for the latest from the daily mail you can download the mail plus app every weekday at 5 p.m listen to me all over again i'm andrew pierce this is the andrew pierce show i'll be back on monday have yourselves a great weekend and good night <laughs>